Well, hey, good morning, Harvest. How are we doing this morning? Awesome. Well, hey, I am so excited to be here with you this morning. My name is Jake. I'm the 20s ministry pastor here. And my wife, Leah, and I, we love this church. So grateful to be a part of this church family. And we, are, uh, we pray for you often. And so, so excited to be with you this morning. Well, go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 20. We're going to be in John chapter 20 this morning. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been in a series called The King is in the Room. What happens when broken and sinful people encounter uh, King Jesus? Well, it's life change. It's transformation. And tonight, or this morning, we're looking at a familiar uh, story uh, involving Jesus with one of his disciples, Thomas. Now, Thomas has an endearing nickname. Who can tell me what it is? Doubting Thomas, right? And I really feel for Thomas. Um, it's kind of like Jake from State Farm, you know what I mean? Like his entire life is trapped in one moment. His entire life is sort of boiled down to one tagline. I think we're all going to owe Thomas an apology when we get to heaven. Because here's the truth, right? We all experience moments of doubt. We give Thomas a hard time, but doubt is a universal human experience. The truth is that we doubt all the time. My wife and I, we have uh, three kids under the age of five, and we are seriously doubting that we'll ever sleep again, right? Like, we have serious doubts. Any parents in the room that can give me hope? <laughs> Literally nobody. Okay, one. Perfect. That's, that's great. We doubt all the time, don't we? And our culture almost guarantees that we'll experience some sort of level of skepticism. You know, we live in a culture of doubt. Secular humanism is the dominant worldview of our culture. And one of the major projects of secular humanism is the breakdown of things like faith. And we live in the age of skepticism, where it's commonplace to question the in integrity of everything and everyone. So, we shouldn't really be surprised then when we experience moments of doubt in matters of faith. You and I are not so different from Thomas. If Thomas was struggling with doubt when Jesus was present on earth, how much more for us who've never seen Jesus this side of heaven? And I believe in a room this size, some of you are in that place this morning, right? You're, you're seriously wrestling through doubt. And if that's you this morning, here's my invitation. Your doubt is not something that you need to hide from. You don't need to hide your questions, be ashamed of your doubt, or, or pretend everything's okay when it's not. If anything, this morning is an invitation actually to, to be honest before God about those doubts. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. The reason many of us do not ardently believe in the gospel is that we've never given it a rigorous testing thrown our hard questions at it, faced it with our most prickly doubts. And that's what I'm asking you to do this morning. I want you to recognize your doubts, identify those hard questions, and honestly confront the areas in your life where you doubt God. Because doubt will often come to us through our experience. Doubt is when we are suspended between belief and disbelief. It's when we want to believe, but our current questions or experience makes that extremely difficult. 
look, I want to believe that God is good, but you have no idea the type of pain and suffering that I've been through. I want to believe that God cares about me, but I've felt extremely alone for so long. I want to believe that God transforms lives, but the truth is I keep struggling with the same sin over and over again. Doubt can feel like a burden, and as a result, we can become really guarded when it comes to doubt. But what if I told you your doubts are not an obstacle to avoid, but actually an opportunity to embrace. Because as we look at this moment between Jesus and Thomas, one thing is going to become abundantly clear. Jesus wants to move you to deeper levels of trust and commitment to him. And so here's what we're going to see from the text this morning. Here's our big idea. Doubt is an opportunity for cultivating deeper faith. Doubt is an opportunity for cultivating deeper faith. So we're in John 20. We're going to pick it up in verse 24. It says this. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, place my hand into his side, I will never believe. About a month ago, I went up to Mackinac Island for a surprise uh, birthday party for one of my friends. And we spent most of our time golfing while we were there. And if you've been around Harvest for a while, you'll know that Pastor Dave likes to use golf analogies. And a few months ago, he said that golf actually stirs his affections towards Jesus, which is amazing. Um, Here's what I'll say about my experience with golf. It stirs up something a little darker in me. You know what I mean? Like anybody else... Feel me on that? Like, stirs up something a little dark. It doesn't exactly lead me to a place of, of worship. But on this particular day, we're golfing, and we all hit our shots, and we're walking up to the green, and everybody found their ball except for me. So naturally, being the golfer I am, I walk off the green to go look for my ball somewhere. When somebody says, hey, there's a ball in the hole. I turn around, and everybody's high-fiving, and they're congratulating, and they're telling me, Hey, you just hit a hole in one. And I'm looking at them, my trusted friends, and I'm saying, I don't believe you. This is some sort of sick joke. Good things don't happen to golfers like me. Right? Look, there's something in us that causes us to doubt good things, even, though, even when it comes from trusted sources. And this is exactly what's happening to Thomas in this passage. Consider the moment. These men have been with Jesus for three years, and the unthinkable has just happened. Jesus was taken into custody by the Jewish Sanhedrin. He endured an illegal trial. He was handed over to the Romans to then be publicly humiliated and executed. Not only this, but all the disciples distanced themselves from Jesus during the whole process as they watch everything unfold. So in this moment, where we pick up the story, the, emotion, the emotions and, um, of the disciples are extremely raw. They are spiritually and emotionally devastated by the events that have taken place. Then after all of this, the ten disciples come trotting up to Thomas and say, hey, we've seen Jesus alive. What's Thomas's problem with this? Hey, guys, I don't know if you remember this or not, but we all watched Jesus die. 
We were there. I don't, do you remember that? Do you remember the nails in his hands? Do you remember the spear in his side? Unless I physically touch Jesus, I will never believe you. Here's a question. Is Thomas's doubt reasonable? Absolutely. Of course it is. Thomas has reason to doubt because he was there when Jesus died. Thomas's doubt is rooted in his experience. Like, I'm sure that Thomas wanted to believe that Jesus was alive. But his current reality makes that extremely difficult. Catherine Averill taught one of our FAQ classes. Um, she's teaching a class now. Any of you signed up for that discipleship class this summer on Wednesday nights? Amazing. Um, and she taught on the question, is it okay to doubt? And she said something incredibly insightful in the class. She said this, what doubt represents is not the absence of faith, but its limitation. And so when we look at Thomas, it's not that Thomas didn't have faith. It's that Thomas had reached the very edge of his faith. And here's what I know to be true for some of you this morning. You're in that place. You've reached the very limits of your faith, and it's got you asking questions. You're wondering if God is real, if he sees what you're going through, or if he really cares. Maybe you're walking through a situation right now, and it's just got you rattled. Your current reality is making it difficult to trust God, and you feel suspended between belief and disbelief. So here's what I want you to hear this morning. Your doubt is an opportunity for cultivating deeper faith. Doubt is something that you work through. It's not something that you live in. You will experience difficulty in this life, and that may reveal some limits of your faith. And to get through these difficult moments, what you're going to need is a greater capacity for faith in Jesus. So looking at this encounter with Jesus, I want to be able to, one, recognize our doubt, but also be in places where faith is cultivated. So let's look at doubt first, um, recognizing our doubt. The first thing is it's born out of disappointment. Doubt is born out of disappointment. Again, consider Thomas's situation for a moment. Everything that Thomas had witnessed, everything that Thomas was a part of, everything that he heard, both in Jesus' private and public teachings, everything that Thomas believed about Jesus was uprooted in Jesus' death. The exciting movement of God that Thomas bought into for three years was over almost overnight. And Thomas is asking this question, well, now what? What do I do now? Everything that I thought was going to happen in my life didn't happen. Where do I go from here? Did I really just waste three years of my life on this guy? Before there's doubt, there's disappointment. Disappointment happens when what we experience is different than what we believe. We all have this internal monologue playing in our minds with an expectation of how our lives should turn out. We all have an expectation of what we want God to do for us. And when that internal script is challenged or interrupted, we experience disappointment. I remember meeting with a friend several years ago. We lived in different states at the time, and we were in the same city and thought, hey, it'd be great to catch up. 
And so we met at a coffee shop and we began to, to catch up and to, to connect. And last time that we had met together, we had this sort of mutually encouraging faith in Christ. And so things were clearly different when we met this time. And when I asked him about his faith, he said this, dude, I'm so far removed from that. I can't imagine following a God that doesn't want me to be happy. What's the internal script? The internal script is that God should be all about my happiness. Now, I don't blame him at all. It's one of the major scripts that we see um, in our culture. But here's the question that we need to ask. Is what I'm believing about God actually true? Sometimes we'll experience doubt because we're confronted with the truth of God's word. And then we have to make a decision. Which script am I going to believe? The one that I've been given or, or formed or the one that we see in God's word? We also experience genuine disappointment simply by living in a broken and fallen world, don't we? Like, it's extremely disappointing to lose a loved one in death. That's disappointing. It's disappointing when we're diagnosed with an illness. It's incredibly disappointing to see relationships fall apart. I could go on and on about the things and the disappointments that we experience and that are represented in this room. These things will absolutely test and challenge our faith. So how can I recognize doubt in my life? Start by identifying your disappointments. You might say, hey, I thought, I might, I thought I'd be married by now, right? I thought that my marriage would last longer than it did. I thought my career would have been more fulfilling than it is. I thought that I'd be over my addiction to alcohol by now. Before there's doubt, there's disappointment. Here's the second way that you can recognize doubt. Doubt lives in isolation. Doubt lives in isolation. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the, tw the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, hey, we've seen the Lord. Look, we don't know where Thomas was when Jesus revealed himself the first time to the disciples, but we know he's noticeably absent. And this is more than just like a coffee run and bad timing. Thomas has removed himself from community with the other disciples. And our instinct when we experience doubt is to turn inward and not outward, right? And this is a form ultimately of self-protection because here's what's the underlying belief. My experience is different. My experience is unique. Nobody will understand what I'm going through and certainly no one will be able to help me. And so we withdraw. Here's what distance does for you. Distance kills intimacy. Turn to your neighbor and say, isolation is killing you. It's killing you. When we isolate ourselves from community, we actually forfeit the grace and mercy afforded to us in community. If doubt is born in disappointment, then it lives in isolation. The biggest thing that isolation promises all of us is comfort. I don't know if this surprises you or not, but I've had, as a pastor over the last seven years, some serious doubts that God actually loves me. I've had doubts about my calling on my life. Is this what you really want me to do? 
And in those really intense moments of doubt, only one word comes to mind. It's relief. Comfort. The biggest thing isolation promises us in moments of doubt is comfort. It's the false promise of isolation. And that may be okay for a little bit, but isolation is never going to be enough to pull you out of the tailspin of disappointment and doubt. The thing that breeds quickly in isolation is distrust. Distance kills intimacy with the people around you and especially with God. So doubt lives in isolation. And one thing that almost guarantees we stay in doubt is when it's fed by our feelings. Here's the final way that we can recognize doubt when it's fed by our feelings. Look at verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. It can be so easy to compare our spiritual experience to those around us, especially when we're struggling. And when emotions run high, it can make our faith feel almost intolerable. We have uh, no indication that when Jesus appeared to the disciples the first time, that any of the disciples got to uh, physically touch Jesus. So when we look at Thomas's response here, it's really one out of frustration and even despair. Look, doubt may not be an enemy of your faith, but your feelings might be. God gave us our emotions. He's designed us with feelings. So I'm not out on God's design. Here's the problem. Our feelings were designed to be a gauge, not a guide. Right? They're designed to be a gauge, not a guide. Most of you drove here in a car, and in, in all of our cars at the steering wheel, there are gauges. And gauges are really great for telling us what's going on under the hood, right? But we would never trust our gauges to give us direction. Isn't that true? And this is exactly the situation. Gauges are great for telling us what's going on under the hood, but they were never designed to tell us where to go. Our emotions were designed to give us a report, but they're terrible at giving us directions. Listen, your feelings are important and they're real, but they're not ultimate. And we live in a moment right now where our culture is telling us that the truest form of direction is our feelings. Doing student ministry for the last five years and serving our young adults in this church, I can tell you this is one of the biggest challenges when it comes to our faith. The fastest way to derail your faith is to give your feelings the steering wheel. There are things that are true, whether we feel it or not. And so we have to ask the question, is truth dependent on my feelings or on what God's word says? Doubt will certainly grow in our life if our feelings become true north. If I don't feel like I can trust God, I probably won't seek him out. If I don't feel like God actually cares about me, I'm probably not going to care about him. If I don't feel like, if I feel like God's mad at me, I'm probably going to try and avoid him. Doubt is always fed by our strongest feelings. There is no easy way to alleviate doubt from our life. 
There's no quick fix, which is why we have to work through doubt. And we can feel stuck in doubt if we never understand what God is actually calling us into, inviting us into. Ask yourself this question, what qualities would develop in me if I worked through my doubt? Instead of fearing disappointment, living in isolation, and trusting my feelings, what would it look like actually to cultivate faith in the midst of doubt? At the center of doubt and faith is a battle for trust. Fundamentally, your faith is built on a relationship. And when our faith in Jesus is growing, our trust in Jesus is growing. But when skepticism in Jesus remains, our trust in Jesus is difficult. So relationally, Jesus is always going to be inviting you into deeper levels of commitment and trust in him. So what does it look like then to cultivate faith? Here's the first thing. Be in places where faith is fed. Be in places where faith is fed. Look at verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. What a move by Jesus. The doors are locked. They're hiding. The king is literally in the room. And Jesus makes Thomas wait eight days before reappearing to the disciples. It doesn't say why Thomas returned, but here's what I believe to be true. Thomas was putting himself in places where faith is fed. There is no guarantee that Jesus was going to show up again. And yet Thomas, after missing Jesus the first time, returned to his community of faith. Look, we don't know how long our doubt will last. Sometimes it's seconds, sometimes it's days, other times it's months. And some of you feel stuck in your doubt, waiting to do what is right because you're waiting for doubt to go away. Thomas tried that, and as a result, his faith lagged behind the other disciples. Look, there are places in your life where faith is fed. We get a better glimpse of this moment at the end of Luke's gospel. It says that Jesus actually opened their minds to understand the scriptures, clearly laying out the gospel. So we see faith actually being cultivated in at least two places in this moment. It's through the people of God and through the word of God. And when I think about places where faith is fed, I think about our dining room table growing up. In the morning, I would wake up, I'd go upstairs, and I would see my mom every morning sitting at the dining room table with her Bible open, pen in hand, hunched over the Word of God. Why? This is the place where faith is fed. She'd have these three-by-five cards strewn about the table with verses, right? This is the place. God's Word is the place where faith is fed. I think about places like Camp Harvest. I don't know if you know this or not, but we have uh, a ton of our people up at Camp Harvest. And Camp Harvest is a place where faith is fed. Every single year, our high school students leave this place, go to Camp Harvest, and every single year, God is faithful to meet young disciples, drawing people to himself, changing lives at Camp Harvest. This is one of the places where faith is fed. It's the next generation of disciples 
coming together in one space, hungry for an encounter, hungry for the presence of God. Faith is stirred in the word of God and through the people of God, and it's the spirit of God that is faithful to meet you in those places. If you are experiencing doubt, you must be in places where faith is fed. It may not be in our timing, it may not be in our way, but God is faithful to meet us in our doubt. Cultivating our faith. Here's the second thing. Expect Jesus to prove himself reliable. Expect Jesus to prove himself reliable. Look at verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. Up until this moment, what Thomas was wrestling with was not the miracles, wasn't the teaching, or even the mission of Jesus. He's been wrestling with this question, can I trust him? Can I trust him? Can I believe everything that he's told me? And notice how Jesus wastes no time in getting to Thomas. He's not checking in with the other disciples. He goes straight to Thomas, and Jesus very personally and very graciously meets Thomas in his doubt. What is the one thing that makes Jesus trustworthy in this moment? It's his resurrection. Look, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Before you knew God, before you cared about God, before you thought about God, God was thinking about you. God created a plan to rescue you and redeem you before you even knew that you needed a Savior. And then Jesus stepped down from heaven, endured every temptation without sin, only to die the death that you and I deserved. So everything then hinges on the resurrection. The death and resurrection of Jesus is ultimately about restoring relationship between God and humanity. And what Jesus is doing in this moment is he's restoring trust. Jesus comes to Thomas and says, hey, you asked if I cared. You asked if I was going to show up. You asked if I was really God. Here I am. I haven't given up on you. I'm right here. Entrust yourself to me. Believe in me. Everything that I've taught you is true. Look at Thomas's response. He says, my Lord and my God. Scholars note that this is the highest praise that Jesus receives from anyone in the Gospels. Up until this point, no one thought more highly of Jesus than Thomas. Thomas's response is one of awe and worship and humility and surrender and total devotion. The reason Thomas's response is so powerful in this moment is because he was in desperate need of God's grace. He needed God to do something for him that he could never do for himself. You and I are not sufficient to draw ourselves out of skepticism and doubt. Our bent to distrust God is as old as the Garden of Eden. What moves us out of doubt is God's faithfulness to us, not our faithfulness to him. What makes God reliable is Jesus' unwavering faithfulness to you. 
Paul Tripp puts it this way. If your hope disappoints you, it is the wrong kind of hope. You see, hope in God never disappoints precisely because it is hope in God. This means that your hope placed in any other thing will always end up disappointing. Here's my paraphrase. If Jesus disappoints you, it's not Jesus. Here is the truest thing about you this morning. You are deeply loved by God. God knows you. God sees you. God hears you. God values you. God moves towards skeptics and doubters, not the other way around. And it's God's faithfulness that actually moves doubters towards trust. Expect Jesus to prove himself reliable. When it comes to cultivating faith, we need to stay focused on the destination. We stay focused on the destination. Here's the last thing that we see in the text. Jesus said to them, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What does Jesus say about us? Us in the room who have never seen Jesus this side of heaven. He calls us blessed. We are blessed. And part of this blessing comes from the promise of his Holy Spirit. He's called our helper and comforter. Jesus actually tells his disciples, hey, it's actually to your benefit that I leave so I can send the Holy Spirit. And Jesus knew there'd be hundreds of generations of disciples and followers that would come after him. Jesus has blessed us with his spirit. He's given us his church. He's given us God's word to help us cultivate our faith in him. Paul writes this to the Ephesians saying, we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. Our faith has a destination And the reward and promise of our faith is that we will see Jesus again one day. And so we must keep our eyes fixated on Jesus, especially in moments of doubt, especially in moments that are hard. I think of Peter asking Jesus if he could walk on the water. And Jesus says, come on out, Peter. Peter steps out of the boat and is walking on water. And things are great at first. But Peter takes his eyes off Jesus and he looks at the size of his waves and he's looking around at what's going on around him. Doubt creeps in and fear and he begins to sink. Look, what gives our faith strength and endurance is being fixated on Jesus, knowing that our faith has a destination. Jesus will always be calling you to deeper levels of trust and commitment to him. That's our discipleship to him. There's always going to be that next step with him. So as we wrap up this morning, I think it's fitting that we talk about how Thomas's story ends, right? With a name like Doubting Thomas, we just kind of assume he's just this chronic doubter. He's just back and forth, right? His life is marked by doubt. But according to church history, Thomas, in believing Jesus being filled with the the Spirit of God, carries the gospel to the ends of the earth. He responds by preaching the gospel to any who would believe. And Thomas is the first and really only apostle that leaves the Roman Empire at that time and travels into India to preach the gospel and reach the lost. Thomas doesn't stay locked away in a room. Thomas actually dies 
a faithful martyr for Jesus in India. Thomas is not a chronic doubter. Thomas had a moment of doubt. Thomas was a disciple who loved Jesus but struggled. Jesus didn't define Thomas by his disbelief. Jesus actually invited Thomas into deeper faith. And the same invitation is available to any one of you. Doubt does not have to define you. Doubt does not have to be your permanent state of being. Don't let doubt define the rest of your life. Your future is not a faith that flounders. Your future is a faith that endures. Paul writes this, I'm confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus wasn't finished with Thomas's faith and he's not finished with yours as well. The question is, do you trust him? Let's pray. Gracious God, we're just so incredibly thankful for the power of the resurrection that in it, you forever have proven yourself trustworthy and good, that you see us and you know us. And Lord, I just pray for us in the room who are struggling with doubt. Lord, I pray that um, we'd have the courage to recognize our doubt. We have the courage to uh, speak those doubts to you and to our community and actually draw close to you. Um, Lord, we're so grateful um, for the truth of your word. We really believe in this moment that you are calling us to deeper levels of faith and commitment in you. And so, Lord, we just ask, would you draw us to yourself in this moment and as we leave here this week? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.